Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice, and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to today's show. It's News Flash right here on this Friday evening at 6 o'clock. And boy, the day has flown by. We got a lot of great big news for you today. Steve Bannon fired. Uh, that is definitely the biggest story today. We also have uh, the story about all of Trump's uh, art, uh, art council re- re- resigning and People are really dropping like flies around the Trump administration. That is for sure. And I got to be honest, I didn't do so great in that introduction. It's all good, though, because we have a great show for you today. And here to save me from my very own self, we have Glenn Bradford, an SWRN political analyst with us today. Glenn, we thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. Yeah, a lot of stuff today. Uh, But first, before we get to anything, uh, we have not talked to you in, uh, unfortunately, a very long time. And, of course, in that period of time that we haven't talked to you, obviously the tragedy of Charlottesville took place. And I just want to get your kind of reaction to that and the events that followed, of course, with Trump uh, and his press conference and everything. Yeah. So, um, you know, it was a obvious, obviously a tragedy and uh, a horrible event. Um, we haven't had... Um, situation like that that's really been you know publicized i know there's been some other white supremacist um violence um that that's happened in the last few years but they haven't gotten i don't remember as much publicity as this one and um every i think everyone was waiting for you know waiting with bated breath to hear what trump might say in his first press conference about the, the violence and uh and and typically he wasn't he wasn't strong enough and he a person like him who has his history of um race issues uh going back to his days in in new york uh with the central park raping and uh and him taking out a full page ad um against uh five black youths who were later found to be not guilty and he, he never apologized for that. And then of course we have the whole birther thing. So, um, so the, the, the first time he came out on uh, last Saturday, uh, a lot of people thought he, it was just, just inadequate because he didn't name 
the white supremacists and the KKK um, by you know by name, um, he, and and so he was um, really uh, embarrassed or pushed or whatever word you want to use to come out and give a more forceful statement, which he did two days later on Monday. And, uh, and that was much better, even though people got the sense that he was forced into it and that wasn't really how he felt about it. And sure enough, he came back on Tuesday and backed it all out. And then that's when the furor happened. Um, there was, it was just the tone uh, of that press conference on Tuesday. He was very combative. Um, I mean, the words he used were pretty much the same same words he used on Saturday, which weren't, you know, weren't terrible. It wasn't like he was coming out and being, you know, pro-white supremacist or anything like that. But you could tell that he was angry and he was pushing back, and that just made it all the worse. And uh, he just did not handle it well. Uh, there's been a lot. Uh, there's uh, obviously there's no denying that, but there's been a lot of people who have come out and said, "Well, Trump is just afraid. He feels like he's going to lose his base here." And there's also been a fair amount of people saying this is what Trump really thinks. He really thinks there is an equivalency between um, between these the white supremacists and the counter protesters. Uh, and he's not just saying this to make his base feel good. He truly believes it. Which side, I'm curious to know, do you fall on in that assessment? I think he really believes it. Um, there's enough history with him um, before he was president, like I, like I mentioned some of those things, that uh, it's pretty clear to me that he's a racist. Now, he would not say that about himself, Uh I, but, you know, it all depends on how high your bar is for what counts as racist. But he definitely has some issues in that area. And um, I I don't think he just said it to try to keep his base. I think that's what he really thinks. Yeah, especially because throughout this past week, he's been doubling down on some uh, on that, saying that, uh, like, really mourning, essentially – over the loss of these Confederate statues. And, I mean, there really is a kind of a raging debate going on around the country where they keep these Confederate statues up. And it just seems to me, I don't know about you, Glenn, but it just seems to me to be such a really kind of unnecessary distraction and just something that's better there, better not there, and is just going to be something that's going to really seem pointless to have anymore and just wrong and really offensive. Yeah, he, he upset a lot of people, uh, really, through all walks of life. I mean, there were governors after him, there were mayors, uh, there were members of the clergy, um, you know, members of the military, um, and then, of course, senators and congressmen, and, of course, all kinds of, um, you know, political pundits on TV. Um, and he's... Uh, he's really gotten hit hard here. I mean, there are magazine covers that are coming out that, you know, paint him as a white supremacist himself, or at least uh, giving them a voice. Um, so it's it's really not, it's really been a horrible week for him. And 
but it's, you know, once again, it's really him to blame. Yeah, it always seems to, whenever he has a bad week, it seems to be normally something of his creation, not a big legislative failure that really is out of his control. So something that really seems to be uh, out of, like, in his control. And that is probably the most disturbing thing. And do you think, what do you, what do you think about the condemnation from Republicans uh, that have has really co- uh, come out? Do you think they were strong enough or do you think they were lacking in the moral department? I think a lot of them were lacking. I mean, a lot of them came out and, and gave rather plain vanilla denunciations of the KKK and, you know, neo-Nazis and things like that. Uh, but, you know, that's not hard to do. Um, but there was the timing of them that was interesting. I mean, they they really came out in force uh, saying at least something, you know, after that Tuesday uh, press conference. And then some of them uh, named, you know, named him by name. Uh, Marco Rubio, Rubio did, and Senator Graham did, and and then yesterday uh, Bob Corker really laid into him. And I I think the the Corker um, statement was probably the most uh, effective, and um, probably hurt him the most. And you know, Bob Corker. Um, you know, it takes a lot of courage uh, when you're a political person, uh, in your, you know, in your own party to be uh, chastising your president. And um, he he's even up for re-election uh, in 2018. So it took some guts to do what he did. And uh, I appreciate that now. It would have been nice if there were even more like him who had who had done that, but uh, I was impressed. Yeah, Mitt Romney uh, did had a really quite strong condemnation there. He he came out and said he used strong words that he never really used before in the campaign. It was kind of a, quite an eloquent, eloquent kind of a destruction almost of Trump. And there's been a lot of wide-ranging criticism from Trump, but probably some strongest come from the magazine. Some may say they're liberal, but still there is quite a strong condemnation coming from this magazine. So, for example, I'll just describe some of the covers to you. The New Yorker has uh, a sailboat of some of the, like, pr- uh, pretty much a sailboat with Trump blowing holes through the sail, and the holes come out of his eyes, like like in the a KKK hood. Um, the uh, Trump has a, uh, in the Economist cover. Trump has a bullhorn with again the same eyes in it, as if he's trying to project those kind of uh, hateful messages. And the Times has a cover that simply says "Hate in America," and that is something that the magazines are really uh, stepping up to. And um, do you think this? My question to you is: How did this really put the nail in the coffin for Trump? I think I I really hope so. I um, I mean the the thing that we worry about is that this all blows over. I mean, there's just it's just so long you can talk about this one topic, and unless um, unless Congress starts you know impeachment processes over this, uh, it's going to start to fade into memory, and in a week or two, um, 
you know, Congress will be back from their break, and and then in September they're going to be, um, you know, hit with uh, you know the debt ceiling and funding the government and uh, all kinds of critical items, agenda items um, that Congress has to concern themselves with, important ones. And I, you know, I just get the feeling that, um, just like the Access Hollywood thing. Uh, it's just going to blow over. Now, it's not going to be that that people will just completely forget about it. It's just another data point, you know, and and this is a really bad one. Um, but, you know, it it was very similar with Nixon. I mean, it just dragged on and on and on, uh, even though there were revelations coming out, uh, and the drip, drip, drip was the, was the same in his administration. So you it just think... gets to a point. It just gets to a point where it becomes untenable. And if um, the closer we get to the 2018 um, election, midterm election, uh, the more the Republican Congress, in particular, in the House, are going to start to be freaking out if uh, if this president continues to be off the rails like he is now. Um, so. I don't know. It's anybody's guess. I mean, but you know, but like you said, the the the, the clarion. There's just, just a complete clarion call from everywhere in America that this guy is bad. USA Today has called for uh, a censure. Uh, their editorial board came out with a, an opinion piece that says Congress should censure them, censure the president. And I I think some Democrats are going to put forth um, a, a censure uh, that gets. I don't, I don't think it'll actually be voted on, but we'll, we'll see what happens with that. I just don't, I just don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to see uh, how far that censure goes. And I mean, it's probably like one of the weakest things you could do to kind of subdue a president. And there's no real consequences to it, other than just kind of embarrassment if the if the Republicans. I, mean, I know it requires 24 Republican votes, but I mean, it just seems to be a pretty unlikely to get that done. So we'll see how that plays out and the Russian investigation, all that stuff. But today, let's get to the big news. Trump has fired another one of his close members of his inner circle. He's fired Steve Bannon, uh, multiple White House officials told CNN on Friday. Uh, sources told CNN that Bannon's ouster had been in the works for weeks, and a source said that while uh, Bannon was given the option to resign, he was ultimately forced out. Uh, according to CNN. So when was Bannon actually supposed to go? Well, uh, I mean, he, he tendered his resignation back on, I think they said, August 7th. So there had been talk even a week and a half ago uh, about him leaving. And so he, uh, I I suspect it was, you know, around, probably, probably even earlier than that, probably around the time that Brebus left. They were thinking about firing Bannon as well. I don't know. I don't know why they didn't at that point. I, I guess Trump got cold feet. I mean, he's got to worry about Bannon a lot more than Priebus because Bannon has the populist movement and Breitbart News behind him, which is a powerful force. And if that force turns on him, it could be very bad politically for President Trump. But I think that he got he got convinced by John Kelly that Bannon was not not a good influence in the White House, and 
I think Trump had other reasons why he didn't like Bannon. And uh, so he signed off on it. But I think he needed that push from Kelly. So kind of just kind of like bring discipline to the uh, to the White House there. And, yeah, that definitely seemed to be – but what I want to ask you is like the thing about Breitbart that you mentioned before, I think this is going to be probably the biggest threat to uh, Trump if he, when, when he, he – the aftermath of him firing Bannon because today uh, Joe B. Pollock, who's the chief editor of Breitbart, said – tweeted just the hashtag war. So – what do you think – how do you think um, that Breitbart could drag down Trump's presidency, and would that actually be really effective? Yeah, I kind of – it kind of remains to be seen. Um, just saying war in a tweet is um, it's kind of ambiguous. Uh, <laughs> um, is it war against Trump himself, or is it war against the elements in, White Ho- in the White House that um, – Bannon and Breitbart don't like. You know, there's the the wing of the White House that they call the Democratic wing. I don't I don't know how many of them are actually Democrats, but uh, they're the ones that have a more globalist perspective. And uh, I think I think that tweet was probably more aimed at, at them uh, than at Trump. Although initially, I think you know Bannon is going to feel pretty sore about being kicked out of the White House. Uh, it's quite a come down after you worked in the White House to, you know, be back into private life again. And uh, so he might take some shots at Trump uh, initially. But I think in the long run, and when I say long run, I mean the next month or two or three, um, how Breitbart and, and Bannon treat the president will have a lot to do with Trump himself, and um, and how closely he follows the populist agenda. I think if he sticks closely to that script, even if he doesn't get too much done in that area, I mean, it's going to be very difficult for him, for example, to put up that Mexican wall. But if he talks the talk, um, Breitbart might lay off the criticism, you know. So... Um, It'll be interesting to say. And the I'm thing not quite is, sure how this is going to fall, unfold. And the thing is, though, uh, Steve Bannon will be able to criticize Breitbart t- uh, from quite an interesting position because uh, – sorry, criticize, criticize Trump from quite an interesting position because the site has just announced that he has returned to Breitbart News as the executive chairman. So he is back at the role he wa- uh, was at previously to the Trump administration. So he is now the leader of Breitbart so do you think uh, – what's your takeaway on this piece of news, that Steve Bannon is going to be back at Breitbart? I mean, not too surprising, honestly, but do you think this kind of heightens it a little bit? Yeah, well, certainly uh, he'll have a much bigger megaphone uh, mm. uh, when, he, when he's back at Breitbart. He was actually um, pretty quiet in the White House. Um, you know, he never came on TV, and uh, – Apparently, he was a pretty good leaker. Uh, that's, I guess that's how he got out his frustrations. But, uh, but now that he's, you know, back at Breitbart, he can say whatever he wants. And it'll be pretty interesting to see what he says because he's not shy, I don't think. And, no. And, uh, and you know, he's, he's, um, 
Uh, he certainly fought quite a bit in the White House, if you can believe the press reports and the leaks. And um, he could be a real problem for Trump uh, politically um, if he tries to exert his influence from Breitbart. Um, you know, it's all going to be out in the open in public, and uh, I can imagine that will irk Trump even more than Bannon irked him while he was in the West Wing, because now it's all public, and I can I can see a Twitter war between the two of them. You know, it could be it could be pretty pretty ugly, and how this is going to affect his base. I mean. That's a very delicate thing. And even though Trump would worry about that, I think his ego would, 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 you know, trump that. <laughs> <laughs> he, he would, he would be more inclined to tweet and to fight and to punch back and to hell with his base. Uh, you know, if, if he got mad enough, you know, and, and Trump has a temper and, you know, it's, yeah, and, and and that's all he has left, Spencer, is his base. And it's Pretty really much. the Republican numbers around the country. He's still really high. He's like 79%. And that's got to come way down into like the 50s before, before the Republicans in the House are going to start talking about impeachment. Yeah, that definitely seems to be the seems to be the case at this point. And I think what was really interesting from this week was all the CEOs leaving a mask because being a Republican, you need those CEOs, you need the power and support of those CEOs to provide you with political funding, etc. Let's talk about Medi-Cal. You have a choice and Molina makes it easy, especially when it comes to the care you need. So let's talk about you, about making your life easier, about extra help to manage your health. Let's talk about your needs now and for the future. Nobody knows Medi-Cal better than Molina. It starts with a phone call. Call 866-420-5330 or visit meetmolinaca.com. Let's talk today. Uh, and, I mean, they gave up literally like tens of them, like I think like 20 or 30. They all shut down that council that he was an economic manufacturing council because they gave up a chance at uh, – being in the presidency or, and give, getting an actual chance to really influence his policies, just whisper in his ear, an opportunity that really no other American has, uh, just because he was too racist. And to me, that seems to be something quite incredible and a really big blow for Trump. Yeah, I mean, um, I you could say that uh, that these, uh, these CEOs um, – Put the country over their business. You know, everyone's talking about country over party. Oh, this is country over their business. Uh, but on that. the other hand, I heard things like, well, these councils and forums, they didn't really do anything. They, they hardly ever met. I mean, they were probably in like a photo op early on when they, when they formed, you know, when they met in the White House. And then they really didn't do much else. So they probably thought, that this wasn't going to amount to anything anyway. But it's still a big slap in the face of Trump, who really uh, coveted these CEOs because, uh, you know, 
Trump really admires uh, self-made men and very rich executives. You know, it's just like it's his world. He wishes he was rich and richer than he is now. He wishes his business was even better than it is. And uh, I mean, this is why he doesn't like the Amazon CEO because he's he's so rich. You know, he's jealous. So. Um, so yeah, it, it was it was a real slap in the face. He's very much hurt by that, by this, and he's I'm sure he's taken it very personally. Yeah, and just kind of being rejected by the elites, I think, is also some kind of a factor in that. But uh, enough being kind of a pop psychologist on Trump here. Uh, we're going to go into kind of more back to Bannon and uh, the White. Getting to the White House statement here today, the White House Chief of Staff John Kelly and Steve Bannon uh, have mutually agreed today that. It would be Steve last day. We are grateful for his service and wish him the best. Uh, the president has privately stood for Bannon in recent days, including Thursday night in his golf course from New Jersey. And another big thing about that was he was furious with Bannon over an interview with American prospect contradicting Trump on North Korea and asserting that Bannon was just able to fire dues in the State Department just whenever he wanted. That's pretty much what he said. And that draw a lot of drew a lot of buyer. Would you say that was probably the biggest factor in letting Bannon go? No. No, I, I think that they probably let him decided to let him go, um, you know, probably a week or two ago. And they were just looking for the right time to do it. And this was kind of the final... They, they had, they had, I had heard that they initially were going to fire him uh, on Monday. But because of the, the Charlottesville um, stuff that was, you know... <laughs> dominating the news at that point, they decided to postpone it until Friday. Friday is always a good day to fire people. Um, so yeah, I don't think I don't think that uh, I think that was just you know Bannon knowing that he was going to be out, and he just wanted to um, blow off some steam. So he he called this uh, liberal uh, magazine and talked and talked and talked. It's very, definitely a very interesting uh, point there. I mean, if he was going to be out Monday, then why like, why bother there? Um, yeah, we definitely did cover a lot, and I think it's about time. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with you very shortly with more of the big news on this crazy day. Me and Glenn Brad for taking you here uh, right through. This is Newsflash on the Spencer Walsh Radio Network. This is the Spencer Wall Show. More of the Spencer Wall Show coming up next. I'm 
Alright, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to today's show. We have Glenn Bradford here with us, and Glenn, of course, we thank you so much for being on today. Well, thanks again for having me, Spencer. Alright, uh, I'm very glad to have you here today. And Bloomberg, uh, 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 Bloomberg has uh, gotten the first exclusive interview with Steve Bannon, as we got more news coming in uh, here uh, quite quickly. So... And we're going to get into this. And apparently he said quite a lot. Um, and apparently we're also hearing, according to Blue, uh, Bloomberg Politics, that Sebastian Gorka, who's a Van and Alley who previously worked with him at Breitbart News, also may face removal as a post of counterterrorism made to the president. The uh, two people said with knowledge of the situation. So do you think that uh, the White House is – actively trying to go after the white nationalist Breitbart side of this? Um, I'm sorry, I didn't I didn't quite get the nugget of that question. Okay. Um, so pretty much what I was just asking, obviously Gorka, as I just said, is uh, endangered according to Bloomberg politics, and it's very possible that he could be out. And do you think 
this is kind of an active attempt on the part of Trump and maybe a little bit of Jared and Ivanka too to kind of get rid of that white nationalist side of the White House and the administration? Are you, are you asking uh, if there's going to be I'm, – I'm, I still have trouble hearing you. I'm so sorry. Oh, that's Is so there like going to be a war between the, the, the globalist side and the white nationalist side or – yeah, pretty much what I was just saying is like, do you think it's um, under? Do you think the white nationalist side is under attack by Trump and maybe a little bit of Jared and Ivanka as well? Well, oh. where the white nationalist side is, is is Gorka and and Steve Miller. Yeah, Gorka and Steve Miller, as Gorka is uh, apparently in trouble according to Bloomberg Politics. Oh, okay. Well, um, you know, I I don't know. Um, how much Ivanka gets into the into the uh, into the fights, um, but certainly uh, uh, Jared um, ha- has gotten into it with Bannon uh, before, and uh, and Priebus and Bannon were kind of a kind of a coalition there for at least for a while. Um, I you know with 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 Kelly there now, uh, I'm not sure. Um, if he's if he's kind of stabilized the the, the, the infighting, um, and I don't really know uh, the personalities that well um, to know if they're if they're if they're fighting. <laughs> um, I think the biggest probably the biggest leakers are gone. You know, Priebus and, and Bannon. So it remains to be seen. Um, what the dynamic in the White House is going to be like now, um, and who leaks and who's fighting, and I mean, certainly Gorka. I mean, he's he's kind of like a pit bull, mm. and and Stephen Miller is also, you know. Um, I just I just haven't heard um, leaks about them uh, fighting with with others, um, but I'm I'm guessing it happens, but I, I don't really know. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely one side will eventually rule them all, uh, and it doesn't seem like the white nationalist side, the right part side, is doing quite well. So Steve is out with a pretty provocative new quote. He said, quote, if there's any confusion out there, let me clear it up. I'm leaving the White House to go to war for Trump against his opponents on Capitol Hill and the media and in corporate America, Brandon told Bloomberg on Friday. So... Breitbart announced Friday that Bannon returned executive chairman of the populist news site as uh, that he once uh, ran that rails against the political establishment in both parties. He chaired the evening editorial meeting Friday, according to the site, and I'm going to see if I can get this um, this official wording here. Um, so, yeah, the Breitbart crew is kind of celebrating the populist nationalist movement got a lot stronger today. Breitbart gaining executive chairman with the finger on the pulse of the Trump agenda. So everyone is just quite excited. And so you did, I think at, at this point, Trump's got to be breathing pretty easy. Is that correct? Uh, Trump is? Yeah, because it seems like, it seems like Bannon is coming in. Uh, Bannon is go- coming in to go fight for Trump. Um, he... He is. I mean, he's certainly going to um, fight for Trump as long as Trump's 
stays on the right agenda, the, the populist agenda. Um, if he starts deviating, uh, there's going to be that war. <laughs> um, I, I think the concern on the Breitbart side is that the, the, the so-called Democrats in the White House are going to uh, influence Trump more now that Bannon's not there. And they're really worried that um, the populist agenda is going to uh, suffer. And if that's the case, then there's going to be um, there's going to be a lot of pushback from Breitbart. I mean, you you already saw how Bannon and his allies at Breitbart tried to get rid of McMaster a few weeks ago, and um, and their reaction see, when Jeff Sessions you'll see stuff that. like that again if if if. Um, if people in the White House are, are not saying what Breitbart likes. Yeah, how effective do you think they're going to be in rallying that portion of the Trump base and actually affecting election results? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think it's going to be a little rocky, uh, honestly. I, I, I'm, I'm, I would really li- I'd really like to be interested in knowing um, how much of the base is is really, um, you know, controlled by Breitbart. I really don't have a sense of that. I know that a lot of um, people, uh, you know, in the heartland who previously voted for Obama switched over and voted for Trump. And those, to me, aren't people who I would describe as solid Republicans. And uh, I, I yeah. would kind of count them as the the populist people who are, you know, kind of listen to Breitbart now, but I don't really know. I'm kind of get, I'm kind of just guessing. Uh, so it'd really be nice if, if I could see some poll numbers about that, because, um, if he does lose some of his Breitbart base, how much is it actually going to be? I really don't know. Yeah. And the thing is, we haven't even seen polling about uh, we haven't even seen polling about uh, post-Trump's Charlottesville kind of fiasco. That Even that polling has not come out yet. So the polling coming out here in the, um, in the future could really be influential in terms of Congress and their, their decision on whether to back him, I think. And whenever, whenever Gallup finishes up, it could get pretty tense for the president. Right. I mean, he's at 34, 35% right now, somewhere in that area. And, uh, and that was all, uh, uh, pre Charlottesville, I think, uh, like you said. And, uh, so, uh, it'll be interesting to see, um, if he fell and how much he fell. Um, and you know, whether that's just a temporary loss, whether he can gain that back again, you know, like I was saying before, uh, people have a short memory. And they're quick to forgive, and his numbers could be down at 30 next week, but then, you know, back up to 34 and 35 the week after that. You never know. In the end, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but in the end, I think the thing that's going to kill Trump is his policy, because the things he says don't really seem to have any real, true, lasting effect. I mean, that will really affect him in the end, but... He has proven to be quite incompetent when it turns to getting policy and stuff done. And the reason why that uh, 
these people put him in office is because of one word and one word only policy, and more specifically, economic policy. And he, if, if he is unable to get that done, and especially maybe even if he is able to get that done with the Democratic side influencing him into making huge tax cuts for him and his and like people like Steve Mnuchin, Gary Cohn, and the Wall Street people. Either way, that could be devastating for Trump. So in the end, if I think he's going to be have to be very careful in terms of policy, and I think policy in the end and how much these people's lives really change is going to be what turns the tables for Trump. Either positive. Yeah, or I think that's I think that's a great point, and. Uh... I mean, uh, pretty much um, all the people who don't like the way Trump talks and acts are already uh, giving him unfavorable polling numbers. Uh, it's it's the people, um, it's the Republicans, and what they really care about are not what he says or how he acts. He can be a real jerk, but they'll still support him. But what they do care about is, you know, they're really upset that he couldn't um, repeal Obamacare, for example, you know, uh, but but it's still early, kind of early in his presidency. And so they're he's still, you know, they're still giving him the benefit of the doubt. They're giving him some more time. But people are going to lose their patience if he doesn't get anything done in, in the, say, the second half of this year. And then next year, it'll be even harder because um, because the elections are coming up. So traditionally, a new president does, you know, the most he'll ever do in his first term in that first year, and even more so in the first half of that first year. And he's, he's done nothing substantial except, except uh, you know, nominate Gorsuch for the Supreme Court. Yeah, when you think of that, um, when you look at, look at it that way, I mean, it's been kind of the smallest – I mean, if I'm going to make a weird analogy here. If Trump – the presidency is sailboat racing. Trump is just going in the calmest waters. He pretty much took a pickaxe and chopped a hole in the, open in the boat, and now he's sinking. That's pretty much the way in terms of it's the way it's been legislatively. I mean, we haven't really had any uh, real legislative accomplishments. I mean, these people, the Trump supporters, I think, are very desperate, and they put their faith behind this guy. And they're going to have a lot of patience, I think, because there's no really other viable option. And as long as there isn't any other viable option, that kind of a, a Trump imitator, an effective Trump imitator, I think he'll be all right for quite a substantial period. Yeah, well, we'll see. All right. Uh, Glenn, great to talk to you today. Uh, so glad you were able to come on the air with us. Um, and we will get, hopefully, be able to reunite soon. This has been Newsflash. On behalf of Glenn Bradford, I say thank you so much for listening. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. 
No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.